I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and 3, our weekly food news roundup. Last month, Hurricane Florence walloped parts of North Carolina. According to the Weather Channel, it was the wettest tropical storm to ever hit the Tar Heel State. So how did the restaurant industry respond? Some helped FEMA weather the storm, while others got to work feeding people on the ground. We just walked in and said, we know how to cook, what can we do? They said, I need you guys to just cook 150 pork loins, and we were just like, uh, okay. (laughs) Now the attention needs to be on Florence's long-term effect on North Carolina's farming community. The general mood of farmers is one of certainly resilience and almost feels like it's the normal course of business to just get hit by a gigantic hurricane and need to just keep on going. So tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's program is brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, a co-working and event space in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Learn more at 100bogart.com. Welcome. This is Why Food Podcast, the podcast about entrepreneurs, innovators, and creators who have left their former careers and started in the food, beverage, and hospitality industry. I'm your co-host, Jenny Dorsey. And unfortunately, Ethan is not here with us today. He's out of town, but that sucks for him because we have a great guest. Um, Thank you so much, Amber Jacobson, who is the co-CEO of Toby's Estate Coffee, is joining us today. So Amber, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So Amber has a fascinating career. Um, she started touring bands and musicians, very famous bands and musicians. She can uh, give us a little peek later um, around Australia and is the worldwide producer for Dirty Dancing to this day. But she's also the co-CEO of Toby's Estate. So can you tell us a little bit about how that happened? You had a friend who approached you and now you guys have a thriving coffee business. Yeah, I always tell the story that uh, two bozos walked into a bar and decided to start a coffee shop, but that's not the truth. Um, What happened was, you know, I wanted to do something different and Adam had decided to do something different and he invited me to lunch in Sydney. It was a beautiful day. And we were at the MLC Centre, which is like the central business district of Sydney, and uh, he said, why don't you join me on this adventure? And what was going through your head at that time? I didn't really think it through. (laughs) I just went, yeah. And I shook his hand and I said, let's do it. And what was your relationship with Adam and what was your relationship with coffee? So I, you know, I drank coffee. Australians think that they're coffeeologists. So I drank <laughs> coffee in Australia. And it wasn't until I moved to London with Dirty Dancing that I really fell in love with coffee. And I would hunt down the specialty shops in London. And so I was interested in coffee. Um, I drank it. I liked it. So um, I felt that... Um, it felt like a good fit for me. It's a creative business without any agents, I say. <laughs> so most of the people that work for us are musicians and artists and they're good people. And that's an interesting place to work. People that are passionate about what they do. Um, and also the stakes are really low in coffee in the sense that you're selling that's something that's $3 and entertainment, the stakes are really high. So I think that um, when Adam invited me to do it, I was like, I think I want to change my life and do something different. And can you tell um, tell me more about when you were saying, like, you wanted to do something 
different, you wanted to be more creative. What were you doing at the time? Like you were doing something creative, but it was not exactly. Yeah, I was, I mean, I was producing Daddy Dancing. I think um, we just opened in, I think the US tour, the first one, or uh, maybe Canada. Um, I think it was, yeah, I think we're in in North America. I think we're in Canada in Toronto and I'd just come home to Australia and, um, and the show was also in Germany at the time. It was still playing in London. And um, I, I did, you know, I did want to change things up. I was also going through a sale of a, a venue that we, um, that I represented and owned in Auckland in New Zealand. And so I had some money coming my way and I thought that I wanted to invest in something of a bit of a passion project. And I was toying with the idea of maybe going into the film industry, which sounds very surprising because <laughs> I ended up in coffee. But I thought, you know, I love film and... I'd been in the music industry and I didn't think it was going to be that hard to move over because I'd promoted bands, I'd produced musicals, I'd run venues and I thought maybe this would be a nice like step over. And I, I started interviewing with a bunch of people to actually work for someone, which I've, I haven't done a lot of. <laughs> and um, then this opportunity came and I thought it'd be way more fun. So... Yeah. And you come from a musical family as well. Yes. My dad is a musician in Australia. He's a very famous man. I had a lovely upbringing with a famous father back in the day when it was good and there was no social media and people (laughs) liked famous people and they weren't mean to them. Um, And what were some of the bands that you were uh, toured around Australia, if you could tell us? I know. It's all, you always (laughs) feel like a bit braggy and silly, but, um, you know, I toured, uh, uh, Pearl Jam. Uh, I, I did the Australian tour of Barbara Streisand, like, oh, Bee Gees, Bruce Springsteen, <laughs> um, Usher, Foo Fighters, like Elton John. <laughs> That's um, awesome. But I also toured some really small bands that, you know, the what are they called? Um, Fidelity All Stars or something. Some really small bands that just totally tanked and didn't do very well, but they were great bands. And you still had fun. So. I still had fun. And I have to say... Um, yeah, I really enjoyed the touring business. It was a tough business because in the end, it's all the margins and the deals that you do with these people are really tough. And that's probably what pushed me into producing theatre because you ended up sharing such a small piece of the pie and it was a, a high risk and you had to put up a lot of money for these these bands uh, because they have enormous cost to tour. I mean, I don't think that's the case anymore with these 360 deals and things like that. I think mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a different time. But um, it was really fun up until you start talking yield management and uh, merch splits with the band. And then you're like, oh, I'm in the business. <laughs> yeah. This is not as fun. But um, sound check's always good. <laughs> um, can you tell us more about the business skills that you took from the touring business as well as um, producing like theater to coffee, which does seem very different, but there are some similarities in there? Yeah, I think, you know, I, it's always it's just the business. And so the skills that I bring to the business, I'm not a creative person myself, but I really respect and appreciate creative people. So I think that makes me a good partner because I'm always looking to hire the smarts of the creative person. And the problem with creative people is they don't often realise they need someone like me to realise their dreams Mm -hmm. because I'm good with the numbers. I'm also good with the details of contracting and I can run a process. I'm a good project manager. So I think that the skills that you bring, like when you produce a musical, you have to put a whole team together and you have to deal with a lot of creative people that have a lot of different agendas. You've got to, you know, deal with the licensing. You've got to deal with the writer. You've got to deal with the rights holder. So there's a lot of people in the pie and it's a lot of chat. It's a lot of listening, a lot of understanding 
and then coming up with your vision and then just pushing that through. You don't make a lot of friends all the time, mm -hmm. but I think that um, you can keep you can keep a high, a high level of respect if you're just honest with everyone about your vision for the piece. And I suppose that's where I came to Toby's. I was like, well, this is what we want to do. I need to hire everyone. I am, you know, I didn't know anyone in the coffee industry. So we hired all American smart people and we built a coffee business based on the smarts of these other people, these good creative people. And when you started, you were a wholesale business. So yeah. So we thought we were just going to be wholesalers. And th what that means is we would roast our own coffee and we would sell it to a cafe, you know, a grocer or whatever. Um, <laughs> it turns out <laughs> that's a really slow business to grow. And considering that I had no, you know, experience in the coffee mm -hmm. business, the first two years were very tough. You know, the first year we lost money, mm -hmm. second year drowning, not waving. Um, but in the third year we turned a corner and yeah. um, my business partner and I used to just look at each other and just go, ooh, probably underestimated what we needed to do to get this thing <laughs> happening. Um, but that's fun, you know, it was it, that's the journey. But um, we actually thought it would just be wholesale. Uh, the wholesale business took ages, two years to become profitable, mm -hmm. whereas our space in Williamsburg, which was a deserted street and I can take no credit for it. My business partner was like, I want to take you to Williamsburg. I think this is the place. And I was like, where? In Brooklyn? <laughs> yeah. And uh, we, we went to Williamsburg, deserted North 6th Street, which is now like, you know. So, yeah. So over, the, like we've got a North Face opposite us and a Lululemon next door mm -hmm. to us. It's crazy. Um, we're certainly not paying the same rents as them. Um, but um, when we uh, went to Williamsburg, we were really surprised at, how much um, residential there was and how many artists and freelancers lived there. And day one, they just sort of crawled into our cafe and never left. So we were really lucky. The retail business basically propped us up for the first two years. And that's where our cash flow came from. And then retail opportunities came to us because we'd actually created Lightning in a Bottle, this great retail experience. And it turned out we we're pretty good retailers. Um, so now how is the business uh, split? Despite our best efforts to try and make wholesale bigger, we continually just end up 50-50. <laughs> is that, like, is that okay? Is that... You know what, it's okay because Adam and I, you know, we have this revolving three-year business plan that we probably have never followed. So um, it has the skeleton of a good idea. But I think when you have a business with a like-minded individual, you take opportunities that come to you. Yep. And that's what we've done. Someone comes to us and says, this is a good idea. And if we have the cash at that time or we don't, you know, we make it happen or we don't. Um, and I think that's how we've grown the business. It's probably um, a bit scary for people that like to live in hospital corners. But I think the true value of an entrepreneur is seeing a good opportunity and going, oh, I'm biting off more than I can chew, but let's just do it and just all in. When you... When you did that and took the first step, um, like the first two years were really hard. What were you and Adam talking about? What was going through your minds or like what what were the kind of decisions that you were making as you're seeing like, oh, the business is it's kind of it's moving, but it's not where we need it to be. Yeah, I think that um, it it was it was complicated because of cash flow. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's the number one thing I tell people is like get a good accountant or at least manage the finances yourself and try and hold on to as much money as you humanly can because that's what really kills small business, yep. lack of cash flow, because people don't pay you. I mean, that's the reality. Whole, wholesalers just don't pay you. 
and you have to wait a long time for the money. Whereas the lovely people that come into your cafe give you your, <laughs> their $3 for the coffee straight up. So I suppose that it's good to have, uh, we were lucky that we had that part of the business already up and running to allow us. But I think that um, uh, having a legal team and all those sorts of things and all the contracting in place, that also is a ginormous help to the business. What were your friends and family saying when you decided to take this? Yeah. um, Well, I was already living in New York, so that was pretty easy uh, for me. But Adam actually had to bring his family over. Where was he? He lived in Australia. So he moved from Sydney to New York with his wife and two kids. And um, our parents actually know each other because we went to preschool together. So and we grew up around the corner from each other. We live (laughs) like a 10 minute walk from each other. Um, Still still do, actually. My parents still live there and so do his. Um, So they were all a bit surprised. But um, because we were so close and we were like brother and sister, um, I think our families were more supportive than our friends who all thought it was the worst idea <laughs> ever. They, they said this is going to end in tears. But it's been a fantastic partnership. What? Uh, Why do you think that is? Um, a, a healthy respect for each other's skills, I think, um, and we trust each other. So I think that's what you need to start off a partnership. Um, I'm terrible in my personal life, but I'm good in my business life. And I think I've got a great partner for the Toby's experience. When you, um, when he first approached you and you were kind of ruminating that, were there any moments where you thought like, I've, you know, I should go back, like, I'm just going to quietly exit ship. I want to go back. Like, I don't know if this is the right decision. Yeah. Like (laughs) last week or probably this morning. Um, yeah, I think you just have to dust yourself off. I, there was times when we opened and I get a phone call and no one had opened the cafe and the kitchen staff would call me and I'd have to go and work the register. And I'm really shit at working the register. <laughs> I mean, I certainly can't make coffee to this day. Um, I can do a pour over, but that's about it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's constantly challenging, but it's also constantly fun. So I think that's... Yeah. What, is, what does fun mean, though? Yeah, that's the rub, isn't it? Um, <laughs> what does fun mean? Um, being, being proud of what you've created. Uh, we have, like, almost 100 staff. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, giving new people opportunities, making great coffee. Like, every time I get up, and I think, oh, I really need another hour's sleep or I really need a massage or I really need this, but I know there's a beautiful cup of coffee waiting for me. And I have to say, that's fun. Every time I go into one of our stores, someone wants to make me an exceptional cup of coffee. And that's just joy. You can't get anything better than that. One of the things you mentioned when we were um, sitting at lunch earlier is that you guys do spend a lot of money on these stores, making sure it delivers the right customer experience, helps drive the wholesale orders, and um, you might over-index a little on the stores. Can you kind of talk about your approach to seeing the stores as not only uh, like a revenue stream, but also a marketing vehicle. Yeah, I think that um, our retail stores, they drive wholesale. And so we don't have a retail strategy in the sense that we're going to open a Toby's on every street corner. Um, We've taken this new space in Bushwick because we don't actually have a massive presence in Brooklyn. We sell the majority of our coffee in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And even though we have the Williamsburg store, as all of our staff are telling us, Williamsburg is dead. It's like Soho. Um, I don't know. That's (laughs) I really don't think it's true. But anyway, um, the the idea of coming into Bushwick opens us up to a whole new market. Mm -hmm. The Mm -hmm. same goes for like Long Island City. Um, We were approached by um, Rock Rose, a 
a real estate company and they said we're looking for an amenity for all of our offices and there's lots going on in LIC and I, we would never have looked at LIC. Yep. And then once we moved to LIC and we committed to it, we've opened ourselves up to Queens and, and mm-hmm. um, been able to open up to an entirely new sort of group of opportunities. And the reason that we do that is from marketing because you can't really market your business these days in a traditional sense. Um, Social media is obviously to a point, but really it's a word of mouth game, which is very similar to the entertainment industry. Yeah. Like you can make the most beautiful ad for your film ever or um, a musical and if your show sucks or your film sucks, no one's going to go because the word of mouth will kill you. So we use these stores as word of mouth. So people go in and get a great experience and that way wholesalers look at us as people that are able to achieve good retail experiences is mm-hmm. what they want for their business. Um, and it also gives us new customers um, to drink coffee, uh, sorry, Toby's coffee in their homes. And I think that was one of the turning points for our business being wholesale retail is that we really saw it as an opportunity to connect with our consumers through retail coffee and education and teaching them how to brew better coffee at home. Um, so we were like, we, we've got to get more people to take Toby's home. Yep. Um, and I suppose that's probably why retail and wholesale end up being neck and neck because we keep on developing new strategies to help retail. But we do overspend in our cafes. Like we have really expensive coffees on bar. All of our staff are really well trained. They go through a certification program. Like we're really invested in education for our staff so that they know the most so the people come into the store, they they get a great experience. And I think that that just enhances our ability to sell our own product to wholesale. Can you talk more about the education program? It's like you guys have a very, you have a director of education. You are very invested in making sure that people are see coffee as like a career. And so how does that work? Yeah, I mean, I think coffee is just the, the ritual for everyone in America, which is fabulous to have a coffee <laughs> business in. But um, our education um, department is our biggest department. And I think that one of the things I come to Toby's with is I am just a regular person that doesn't have exceptional coffee skills. So I look at what I need and things that I needed was to understand how I store my coffee. How do I brew my coffee? How do I, you know, weigh out my coffee? Do I weigh out my coffee? Um, I didn't even know coffee was a fruit before I got into the industry. So like, I think that that led me to think that a lot of other people didn't know that. So we wanted to beef up our education department so that we could help uh, identify what our consumers didn't know about coffee and get them to take Toby's home and brew their own coffee. Because being able to make your own coffee is actually a really inexpensive experience um, compared to getting into wine or, yeah. you know, getting into fancy Michelin star restaurants. <laughs> yeah. It's actually a really easy sort of um, entry point. And for our wholesale customers... We can roast the most spectacular coffees from that have been sourced meticulously by our green buyer, but if they don't have a clean machine and they don't have someone that knows the brew parameters, you can completely botch it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we realised if we wanted to grow our business, we need to keep the quality there. And a lot of coffee companies had been out there saying, oh, well, we won't work with you if you're not good enough. Well, we decided that we'd say, look, we'll work with anyone because we'll train anyone. Mm-hmm. We have this spectacular education department run by Ali Koran. She's been with us for like, um, I think six years, five years, a long time. Mm -hmm. We've only been open for like seven. Um, And she has uh, designed many different uh, courses for people that own restaurants, people own cafes, hotels, um, our own cafes, and developed a program which allows us to train people 
to be able to make coffee in in a great way. And um, I think our most successful program that we do is our own internal, which is the Bar Back to Barista, mm-hmm. which is we hire people that want to become baristas. They've got no skills, but they're friendly. They work as a bar back for three months and then they enter into our coffee program. And most of those people end up being managers in our stores because they've got the right attitude and they've been trained the way we like it and they present our coffee beautifully. Or they get poached by our wholesale partners, <laughs> which kind of sucks, but that's life. <laughs> How do you foster, uh, cultivate that? I said wanted to say foster and cultivate at the same time. It's um, <laughs> <laughs> a new uh, word. Uh, cultivate that culture at Toby so that you not only are you attracting the right talent, but you're also maintaining it. Oh, we just have spectacular staff. I mean, they're really good people. Um, I think, you know, we try and cultivate a friendly environment. Uh, That's our two key words. We're friendly and sophisticated because we have an elevated coffee experience and friendly because we're not going to tell you how to drink your coffee. Yeah. We're going to just let you enjoy it. And I think, you know, the whole third wave thing that coffee was so special and all that sort of palaver that everyone you know they had the coffee shop (laughs) um, memes about people just being mean to people when they're going to coffee shops and things like that I just it's just so 10 years ago and I think um, we want creative people on our bars most of the people are like musicians or actors or artists and they're in a creative pursuit and they like coffee I mean it's pretty simple and they just want to talk about it and enjoy it and most people want to talk about coffee, what, how they like it, and not feel bad about it. Like, if yeah. you like a dark roast coffee, good for you. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing wrong with it. There's yeah. nothing wrong with it. Yeah, I went to um, a coffee tasting where they were like, yeah, we want we want you to drink your coffee however you want, but it, if you put milk or sugar in it, then, you know. So, it, yeah. It, I know. There was a while there, like, you know, they people wouldn't have milk and sugar out. Yeah. Like, that was bad. I mean, I drink a, a cappuccino every morning. I love a yep. milk beverage. What kind of milk do you use? Oh, I'm so uncool. I <laughs> I have 2%. Oh, 2%? I know. Oh, I haven't heard it's, that in a while. Okay. Hey, it's so uncool. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. Um, we should probably get rid of it. The only reason we have it is because I drink it. Uh, <laughs> the, the number one drink is whole milk. Oh, the okay. number two drink is almond milk, and the number three drink is oat milk. Yeah, what do you think about the whole oat milk situation? Uh, oat milk has great marketing. Every, yes. It's so buzzy. <laughs> um, you know, I tried an oat milk coffee just the other day. Uh, we did a pop-up with Square and mm-hmm. the Specialty Coffee Association in Nolita, um, and anyone's interested in coffee should definitely read this Square report that they put out, which basically talks... They have all the information on every coffee shop, and they put together this big data dump of trends in coffee and it's so interesting to read but um so we only had alternative milks there because they had no refrigeration Mm -hmm. so um yeah it was really good um would I drink it every day probably not um I find it's it's they're quite intense flavors having almond milk or oat milk but certainly alternative milks aren't for people that are lactose intolerant it's certainly the way the industry is moving um but I would say well you know, the number one drink we sell is a latte in the, oh, okay. cold, in the cold months and uh, cold brew is it's like literally June, cold brew overtakes and then September 1, the latte comes back hmm. and mostly people drink whole milk. 
Interesting. Mm. Um, well, speaking actually of you had uh, your fall menu launched recently. Yes. yes. Um, can you talk about kind of the R&D process of making sure that, you know, obviously the coffee shop always has staples, but have invigorating it enough with different things every season, every year and keeping an eye on trends? Yeah. So it was very off trend to have a full <laughs> beverage. Um, but um, because my business partner and I aren't deep, deep, deep specialty people, um, we couldn't work out why. Because it's really fun to have a fun, tasty beverage. Yep. Um, and you're not going to drink it every day. It's just, you know, it's like having a piece of chocolate cake or something. Yeah. So um, Ali Karan, our director of education, is, you know, a serious coffee professional. But she's completely open to all new ideas, which is a, it's such a gift. And she was like, yeah, I'm on board. And so we ran a competition. That was our first one. <laughs> okay. And um, one of our educators who was a barista who became a manager who is now one of our educators, we ran a competition that they could travel to Origin, to Panama, to go to a coffee plantation and if they invented a drink so we had like lots of applicants and she made the maple sage latte ah. and it was a spectacular success and she went off to origin and got to tour some coffee farms where we buy coffee from and so i think um you know we just have fun with it you know it is a competition it's meant to be fun i think at the coffee fest last weekend we did a churro um inspired nice. beverage uh we have the lavender fig sorry the uh, rosemary fig latte that, that just got really released good. um a chai matcha or something like that like they come up with really crazy beautiful experiences and i the mint julep i think is my favorite which is the the summer months drinks okay yeah and what how do you feel about like having teas and matchas and things alongside the coffee experience because not everyone is a coffee drinker but you want them at Toby's. Yeah, so I mean I'm a big believer in butcher, baker, candlestick maker. You cannot be all three. So you've okay. got to pick a you've got to pick a profession and we're coffee roasters and that's what we do best. But we do dabble in other beverages because you cannot drink coffee all day. Mm -hmm. So we have a spectacular tea program because why not? Um, I think we're in the beverage business with a focus on coffee. Okay. So although, and, uh, you know, our friends um, Donna Chai, she has this incredible uh, chai business and we don't use her for chai. And they're like, why don't you use us for chai? And I was like, because it's too hard. Like, you guys are serious chai and it would take too much for us to prepare it. And mm -hmm. when you come to Toby's Estate Coffee, you're not going to get the best chai experience. You're going to go to a chai house. Yep. But you're going to get a great chai experience. We work with Rishi, but it's a lot easier to, de to deliver but you're gonna get exceptional coffee. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the way we try and look at other beverages. Um, I'm a big tea drinker, so I like our tea service with beautiful teapots and, and beautiful tea um, ceramics. And I like the service, you know, our, our teas are sourced via um, Royal, which is a company that we work with for coffee. And we've just developed our own proprietary uh, breakfast blend um, and we've got a uh, apple cider, cider rubus that we've just mm. released which is incredible but we're very particular we don't want to waste too much time because you can really lose focus when you move too far off your your real um, passion project which is we're a coffee company we have the word coffee in our name for a reason yeah um, how do you evaluate competitors I mean there's a lot of fields of thought on you know if you're going to a market that is crowded um, should you spend a lot of time analyzing them should you not worry about them should you you know benchmark yourself with them how do you approach that yeah I mean I can tell you the truth and say <laughs> I hate competitors no, I mean look they 
They keep you honest. Yeah. They keep you on your toes, and especially the little ones that come into the market and then do something <laughs> that you just can't do. Because mm-hmm. you know we're we're big now in the sense that we have five stores, and we have over three hundred wholesale clients. So we can't do some weird washed coffee that costs a fortune because none of our customers want to buy that or we can't afford to put it on our bars or whatever it is Mm -hmm. um so i think that they keep you honest they keep you always striving for greatness and inspiring and making you do things that you don't really want to do um i think once you stop looking at your competitors you become a behemoth and you think that you're better than everyone else i think that's sort of when you lose the creativity yeah um you know we all share the same employee pool so they all swing and swing out uh we've got people that work for irving farm work for la cologne work for devotion like there's yeah. lots of stump town um they've all worked for us uh, one of our educators came from blue bottle um mm-hmm. and two of our educators went to irving farm and stump town so we all share an employee pool and i think we all have a healthy respect for what everyone's doing but um i think you know we are we're a company that grew up in Brooklyn and we're truly a New York coffee business. Um, most of those companies that I just named, none of them are truly New Yorkers. Yeah. Um, Irving Farms outside of New York, but like we opened in Brooklyn and we created a coffee company from scratch with local people. And I think um, we're really proud of that. Um, and I think when I compare us to our competitors, I think you know that's something that's got a point of difference that's different from everybody else. Well, with that, we're going to take a short break, and then we'll be right back. How you feeling? Bogart has made much progress over the past year since their grand opening. They are a growing community of professional freelancers, entrepreneurs, and startups. Their dedicated team guarantees you receive a productive and worry-free work environment. 100 Bogart is currently filling up their two-person to 12-person private offices. The spacious pop-up gallery, premier rooftop, and brand new full floor with terrace are available for your next event. Podcast rooms, conference rooms, and meeting spaces are also available for booking. 100 Bogart hosts events like art exhibitions, pop-up stores, product launches, and fashion shows. Heritage Radio Network is a proud member of the 100 Bogart community and often holds events in the building. Visit 100bogart.com to schedule a tour and learn more. And welcome back. This is Why Food Podcast. Um, I'm your co-host, Jenny Dorsey. And today I'm with Amber Jacobson, the co-CEO of Toby's Estate Coffee. We were just talking about all sorts of coffee training competitors, but I also want to talk about sourcing, where the coffee is from and how you approach sourcing. Yeah, so this will be incredibly high level because clearly I don't source (laughs) the coffee. Um, Jonathan Withers is our grain coffee buyer. um, And he spends about, I think it's like three to four months a year traveling Uh, who was recently in Brazil. Um, He spends a lot of time in Colombia because they've got a couple of harvests. But I I suppose our, you know, like anyone in the specialty coffee industry, sourcing is really important. You want to work with farmers you know and you trust and have the right 
practices. I think that um, we take a pretty holistic approach. Most of our coffees are direct farmer relationship, but we're not such a big corporation that we can buy direct. Mm -hmm. uh, we're not in the risk insurance company of shipping coffee. Yep. So we, you know, we create relationships with farmers and then we work with an importer who takes the risk of getting the coffee out of the origin and bringing it to our doorstep. And I, you know, you pay a little bit more for that, but the reality is that's not our business. Mm -hmm. um, I think that um, one of the changes since Jonathan came on a few years back, um, he's really changed the way we've looked at our blends um, to try and keep them more consistent. I think that's probably the hardest thing to do is take consistency because it is it's a you know it's a food product and yeah. it tastes different throughout the year. And I think that that's probably the hardest thing with sourcing is trying to keep consistent product out there so that people you know fall in love with a, a type of coffee that you are able to deliver that. When you first started though, um, is it you who was doing like how did you approach the sourcing knowing that you know you didn't come from the coffee world? But we hide the smarts. How did an, you find? How did you know, know he was the right? I didn't. I had no idea. I didn't even know how to negotiate a contract for a coffee, a green coffee buyer. Mm -hmm. I winged it. <laughs> like all good entrepreneurs, <laughs> I bullshitted. Um, yeah, you know, I think that's the, this very, very, very learned man once told me. He was the director of the Sydney Theatre Company and he asked me, he was directing a musical for me and he asked me why I didn't ask him to direct my first musical and I said because... It was a crappy musical. You were never going to do it. And he said, well, I would have done it because I was in the stage of my life that I really needed a gig and no one was hiring me. And he mm. said, Amber, you've got to understand. He said, you never know what people are going to say. You should always offer the best person the job. And don't negotiate with yourself and find, you know, you lowering your expectations or your standards because you think you can't afford someone or you think that they're not interested. He said, always ask the number one person. So I've taken that to heart and that was, oh God, that was back in 2000. And I really do find myself negotiating with myself a lot and mm -hmm. I, I catch myself out on it. And the thing is when I came into this market, I just, I tried to source the best coffee people and ask them to work for us. And what know, was your pitch? Um... Well, it's, it's a pretty easy pitch because I'm not a creative person. So the problem with creative people is they don't really want to work with a boss that thinks that they can do their job. Yep. I can't do their job. So I deliver a lot of trust. I'm delivering you the money. I'm delivering you the opportunity. But don't disappoint me. If you think you can step up to the plate and, and, and make this happen, then great. And, you know, it could all end in tears. But the reality is I'm giving them an opportunity that you don't necessarily get at every coffee company. Most coffee companies start with the creative person, the roaster or the yes. green buyer. And we didn't. You know, we started with the, we were the business people that actually really loved and respected what everyone did and wanted to work with them. So I think it was a pretty easy pitch in that sense. Um, and I think that... It means you've, you've got to really trust your staff, but I think that comes down to your gut and hiring people that are like-minded individuals that you can have a beer with and they're not going to lie to you. Yeah. And if they've got the ability to do it, then I think you're halfway there. Uh, I also want to talk about financing. A lot of entrepreneurs always kind of struggle through how to get financing off the ground. Should they invest? Should they try to get investors? How did you guys approach that and what conversations do you have about it? Well, the number one rule in show business is never put your own money in a show. <laughs> um, oh, God, money is so hard. 
It's just the the most thankless task. Yep. And if you work for someone who has to raise money, be kind to them because they've got the worst job. (laughs) Um, Adam and I were lucky. We put our own money in so we didn't have to look for investors. I have had investors my whole life, musicals. You literally have parcels of $50,000 and a $15 million raise. Like it's, it's hard. You have to report to them. You have to respect them. Um, they all have something to say, even if they've only put in their fifty thousand dollars compared to the person who put in five million dollars. So, it's um, it, it's a it's a difficult process. Investment, I think, you know, same philosophy of uh, hiring people that you think are right for the job. Look for investors that you think are right for the job, and ask them. And if they say no, then you move on. But it is a really it's a it's an enormous challenge. I think um, there's some great um, things that weren't available to me um like kickstarter and things like Mm -hmm. that i just think that they're such awesome ideas and that it allows young entrepreneurs to get out there and have a go and i often invest like give money to kickstarter (laughs) just because i just look at it and go good on you what a great idea and it could be anything do you think you would have done a Kickstarter if you if there was a Kickstarter when Toby's first started? Definitely, <laughs> we would be we'd be in way more places uh, if we had known about Kickstarter and understood it. Uh, just because it would be an easier way to raise money. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, as it is now, we use a lot of merchant financing because that's the easiest way for us to raise money um, because we're already working with them and they allow you like Square and Amex. Mm-hmm. They allow you to just get cash flow, and every business needs cash flow. I mean, to start a new store. You need cash flow. Um, And for the future, would you, are you guys thinking about investment? Um, Would you consider investment even though you didn't take on investment before? Yes. Um, I think you sort of, I I was saying to you earlier, you get it, you know, when you're young, you're all in Mm because you've got nothing to lose. And as you get older, you suddenly have stuff to lose. Um, And so you stop wanting to put your house on the line every single time. And I think that's, you know, it's part of the process. Um, so yes, Adam and I have started looking for investment and it's really hard. Um, it's not an easy process. You, you know, I, I keep on saying that you have to keep on, uh, opening the hood of your car, showing them everything and they have a kick around. And then two months later, they're like, nah. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you say when they say no? Like, how do you internalize that and just move on and brush it off and not feel like, oh my God, my business, you know? Oh, look, you know, have a great partner to go and have a beer with. Um, The cup is half full for me. I've been incredibly lucky in business, although I I get very down, of course. Like, I'm like every human. Disappointment Mm. still hits me in the face. Mm -hmm. But I have a whole bunch of people looking to me to pick myself up. And so I'm every day is a new day. So I just shake it off, suck it up. That's one of my favourite sayings. Suck it up, buttercup. (laughs) Things didn't go your way and just move on. Um, I think that's an entrepreneur. You just have to brush yourself off because there's incredible losses all the way. Mm -hmm. Um, You are also still the worldwide producer for Dirty Dancing. That is Uh, true. (laughs) And you have twins. And I think, I mean, that's a lot on your plate. How do you juggle those things? How do you maintain that balance in your life? So I have no balance. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I made a decision to have the twins. um, And I... I didn't mean to have twins. That was don't. I'm not a crazy person. That was that was um, that was what happened. But I'm very lucky. Um, but um, look, I have no balance in my life at the moment. But I'm sure I'm going to get balance back. Um, I think that. I don't know. It's. I think you make a decision in life if you're going to be someone who is going to want to 
pursue a career or an opportunity and I'm one of those people um, I just dig in and make it happen no matter what and I think that the balance comes from just having a few key friends it's not important I mean I'm terrible on social media I do have a lot of you know acquaintances in my life but my core group of people are small because I can catch up with them mm -hmm. um, I don't think that um, I think I've got like you know 30 followers or something pathetic <laughs> like that so it's a different you know it's a different scope of life yeah um, and I think that um, you know the balance comes from enjoying your family I suppose before when I was single and tripping around the world the balance came from eating in fabulous restaurants and drinking cocktails till dawn so I, I think it's whatever you part of your life you're up to that's where you get your balance um, it's not a traditional way of doing it and we were talking about you know women having it all mm -hmm. and I certainly believe that I w think women can have it all but it doesn't having it all is just different for every person yeah, yeah. oh I don't think like everyone does perfect in their you know their work life and their home life and their going out life and yeah. their family relationships you know you, you don't get all three yeah I think yeah I think that is that is definitely a myth um, <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Uh, don't they say like in New York, it's you're either looking for a love, you're looking for an apartment or you're looking for work? Maybe. I feel like that would be a good yeah, third I think one so. too. Yeah. I think someone told me that and I was like, yeah, oh, that sounds right. like made up. And I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. yeah that's, <laughs> I just cycle through those. Well, I think I got the love one, but you know. Um, so Toby's is also opening in Bushwick, as you mentioned it earlier. So can you tell us about that process? So and what's 10 happening? minutes from where we are. Um, yeah, we're opening a new roastery. Um, which is very exciting. It's um, because we maxed out um, at our Williamsburg space. We roast six days a week, and when you have one day for maintenance, and it was getting it pretty, cutting it pretty close. Uh, we did look for a big roastery, but we worked out we couldn't really afford it. Um, we couldn't really afford what we wanted, mm -hmm. and then the opportunity came in Bushwick. And most of our staff actually <laughs> live in the area, um, and they all thought it was a great mm -hmm. idea. But it allowed us to stay true to what we've been doing, which is small batch roasting. Mm -hmm. So we've ended up with a roaster of the same size. It's a vintage probat, um, uh, 22 kilos. So we've doubled our capacity, but we've stayed small. And we've been able to... Um, use it to our advantage because we've launched this partnership program where we're partnering with c c wholesale partners that actually want to have a bit more say in their coffee program. Okay. And, you know, they want to be involved in their own branding. They want to be un involved in their own packaging. Uh, they want to have a bit more of a say on what kind of coffees they present. And having a second roastery and having the ability to work with them on projects um, and an example of that is we're working with Dean and DeLuca mm -hmm. and, you know, they could go to any coffee company and work with them, but they wanted to work with a partner and develop a program. Mm -hmm. And so we developed, you know, a coffee program for them. We, we developed packaging with them. We developed an education program with them and we've rolled that out over the last year. And I think that having the second roastery allows us to have a closer relationship with partners like that. When you first started, how did you get your first partners? How did you start approaching, you know, the small to the large? That's always a challenge, finding Pride clients. Pride swallowing work. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it is, it's, you know, you're a door-to-door -door salesman mm -hmm. is what you are. We did every job. I mean, we worked on the register and then we'd go out to drinks with people and and there were some fantastic people that were early adopters. Uh, big ups to the Van Leeuwen team. Yeah. You know, they took a punt on us. We were, that was in our first year. We were certainly a little bit crazy and they were like, yeah, let's do this. <laughs> and I, I think you just find some like-minded individuals that trust in you and believe in you. And we still work with them to this day. And um, I think that, I mean, that's a good thing. We're great partners for each other. 
but I, we were, you know, we were lucky or we worked really hard, but we found a few key people that kept the doors open. Where do you see Toby's growing? Would you consider another city? Would you consider more locations in this city or another? Yeah. Um, well, we're certainly not into global domination, so that's not going to happen anytime soon. But um, yeah, we've we've toyed with the idea of expanding along the east coast. Um, being Australian, we would like to move to the west coast, so we're closer to Australia. But uh, the west coast coffee scene is a completely different base to the east yeah. coast, <laughs> and I don't think we could be lucky twice. So we're thinking of maybe moving into DC, or um, you know, we have our uh, we we quite like uh, you know Boston. Um, maybe tow into Atlanta or something like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, the rea- I mean, it's all about distribution, so you don't have to send coffee too far away. Mm-hmm. Uh, fresh coffee is obviously really important. We suggest our filters get used two days off roast and our espresso rested five days. So that basically tells you how far you can send your coffee mm-hmm. to ensure that it's fresh. And I think that um, without compromising quality, that's what you need to do. And you also need to set up education. You need to, we have like a service tech department because you have to fix all the gear in a coffee shop. I regularly say to my business partner, I wish we'd, you know, started a business that you didn't have to not only source and roast, but then you actually have to look after their gear, educate them how to make it, deliver yep. it all the time because it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it needs to be fresh. Like it's, it's quite a complicated business. And I did not consider that when I got into the business. <laughs> so looking back, would, would you have done anything differently? Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> There's so many mistakes. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's what makes you a better business person. And um, that's why people with business experience, you should listen to them because just ask them for their mistakes and they will tell you and then learn from their mistakes. Is there, um, where, where do you draw the line in terms of advice? I've, I've heard a lot of interesting things about, you know, don't listen to advice, you listen to advice too much, or, you know, how, where is like the, the right amount of advice or um, seeking help or questions or informational interviews um, and yeah. stopping? So tricky. Um, my, you know, I, yeah, I, it's hard to comment on. I always tell people, this is the good bit of advice, is your accountant doesn't know more than you. They're just in a specialised sport. So I think that's how you have to look at advice because people that just listen to their accountant or listen to their lawyers always end up with tax problems and legal problems. You need to challenge these people because, like you, they're a specialist in their field but they need to be challenged and you need to ask them why, where, how, whatever. So I think that's the same with advice. I mean, when you ask advice, I'm sure, you know, um, I met with Peter Giuliani, who's the head of Specialty Coffee Association and, you know, a learned man that has forgotten more than I will ever know about coffee. Um, And he said to me, if you ever want to run anything by me, you know, that's what I'm here for. And I was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. And I've written out my list of questions and I'm going to call him up and ask him. And I think the advice he'll give me, I will take because I'm asking him very specific advice on topics that he's an expert at Mm -hmm. Um, and I will apply his advice to my business. So I think that's the way the advice works. I take it wherever I can. I remember when I first, you know, we started a food program at Toby's and it was terrible (laughs) and we are terrible food people again. Butcher, baker, candlestick maker, (laughs) coffee only. Um, We called up the guys at um, Blue Ribbon and said, can you give us some help? And they said, we'd love to. And they sat down and took a couple of meetings and told me how to cost 
food. Yeah. I yep. had no clue. I We were basically giving our food away, it turns out. <laughs> well, we're all kind of giving our food away somehow, but yeah. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Like, it was great advice and I took it and I I use it to this day. And so what is the food program now at Toby's? So it's um, we actually have a great retail manager who is into food. Um, so she's doing a great a great job. I mean, it's hilarious. We're the we're an egg and avocado place. <laughs> uh, basically, everyone runs away from our stores at lunchtime, um, despite our best efforts. It's you know, it's a brunch menu. It's yeah. certainly when people say, "Oh, I'm really disappointed you took that chicken sandwich off the menu." I'm like, guys, a coffee roaster. <laughs> yeah, Don't yeah. come here for a chicken sandwich. But our chicken sandwich is really amazing. But at the same time, we really do focus on coffee, and everything is an accoutrement, you know, to the coffee program. So we try and you know, have a couple of things in there that make sense if you're still in there working or whatever. But the reality is we're, we're, we're made for coffee. Well, um, in our last few minutes, I want to go into our quick fire round, uh, which oh, Ethan's not here. He usually has, we can like, you know, shoot from both sides, but I'll start okay. um, with what did you eat for lunch as a kid? Vegemite sandwiches. Oh, no. (laughs) I had Vegemite toast for breakfast. That's gross. (laughs) Um, Did you like it? Of course. Like, did you like like the first first time you had it, you liked it? I don't know. I don't know, but it's great. (laughs) Um, What, uh, how do you like your eggs in the morning? Um, I'm a scrambled egg person. Probably because I don't like runny eggs, so no, no, I don't like the runny yolk. It's gross. Um, scrambled with milk, or just scrambled? yeah, no, scrambled with milk. Oh, yeah, it's mm. very detailed. <laughs> um, what would if you could be any animal? What would you I'd be, be a pony? Oh, yeah, not a mini horse. No, oh my goodness, those mini horses! <laughs> I follow them on Facebook. The mini, the mini carousel horses that yeah, go into really the cute. to the old people homes. Oh, beautiful. Um, yeah, I'd love to be a horse. If um, you could learn any skill overnight, what would it be? Oh, I'd love to learn the guitar. Mm. Yeah, my dad's a musician. Um, I would just love to be able to play a musical instrument. I can read music, but I can't play. Uh, what did your dad play? He, or he, was- he can play everything, mm-hmm. um, but he's, um, he's a guitarist. He's spectacular on the ukulele and the banjo. Oh, wow. I think they're just people with music. They're very special people. It's a gift. Yeah, it is. Um, if you could have a superpower, what would it be? Oh, gosh. What would I like? I, um, to see into the future, maybe? I oh, don't yeah? know. Um, no, that would be a dud. <laughs> um, I wouldn't want to fly. I don't know. That's a terrible thing that I can't think of a superpower that I'd like. I would want to tra- like be able to just go places like without transportation, just like up here. Yeah, like in Star teleport, Trek. Teleport, yeah. Yeah, teleport, yeah. Uh, that's a good one. Maybe I'll use that next time I get asked because that would be fun. Yeah, and just save you a lot of time and commuter trouble. You know what a good superpower would be? Be able to cook. <laughs> I would love to be able to cook. I, we, I can help you with that. <laughs> I'm a terrible uh, cook. Um, what are your daughter and son's favorite things to eat? Oh, um, well, they're really into these freeze-dried food, oh. um, like mangoes and strawberries. Um, and I looked on the box and they're like just a hundred percent sugar. I'm certainly not mother of the year, but yeah, they, they, they like those. Um, are there any professions that you hope they'll be in the future? Um, yeah, I suppose you do look at your kids and think what's in store for them. Yeah. Um, mostly I think that life is really hard now. So just do something you really like to do. And it sounds so cliche, but Really, I'd like them to do something that doesn't take them away from me. Um, but 
they enjoy a freedom. So I suppose like a, a job like if you're a freelancer or you're an architect or something, so they can still come home for Christmas. Yeah. You know, if you're working in an office and you can't and you get your two weeks a year, that would suck because they wouldn't choose to be with me. So that's not true. I'm sure it will be true. So um, that's what I'd like. I'd like them to have a bit of freedom in their in their career so that they can spend time with me and we can travel and do things because that's what I've been able to do with my parents. Um, My career has been that I've been able to take a lot of time and, you know, travel the world and I get to spend a lot of time with my family. And I think that's a gift to being able to spend time with your family between life and work. That's the life balance, I suppose. Um, What do you think is the biggest difference between coffee culture in Australia versus New York? Um, I think New York needs coffee and Australia thinks that they know a lot about coffee and they (laughs) like to drink it as a cultural experience. But I think New Yorkers, or Americans run on coffee. And I I know that sounds like runs on Duncan, but I think it's just part of the day. Yeah here in, in America. I think that's the, the difference. Um, but America, Australians are very particular about their coffee and how they present coffee and um, and what their coffee program is. I think that they're very different, very different, but they're equally as good. So last question, um, how? what is your perfect coffee order and what would you, if you would, um, eat with it? Mm, well, that's easy. So I would order... Um, I usually order a like a milk-based espresso beverage with a filtered coffee, which is usually Colombian if we're in the morning or an Ethiopian in the afternoon. And what would I have for breakfast? Well, we, or or in the evening, whatever you would, any time of day. Well, I think the best thing yeah. to have with coffee is eggs. Oh. Yeah. So I probably have avocado toast with eggs and a bit of chili, which is one of our things that we have, and <laughs> I eat it most days. So, so um, yeah, that's what I would have with scrambled eggs on top. Well, awesome. Amber, thank you so much for being here today. Um, Can you tell our listeners where to find you and Toby's online and in person? Yeah, I mean, they should definitely come down and try our coffee. We're in Williamsburg, about to open in Bushwick, and if they ever get the gas on. Um, (laughs) So that that this year, um, we keep saying. Um, We're in Flatiron, we're in West Village, we're in Long Island City, and we're also in an urban space market. um, Oh, yeah next door to we're in the Helmsley building which is next door to um oh, it's in Midtown Vanderbilt so uh yeah that's where we are and we're also in lots of other places we have some great partners all washes Whole Foods um Dean DeLuca Dean and DeLuca Granola Bar um Plant Shed there's some great pa- we work with some great people and where should they find you online oh tobysestate.com Perfect. Well, thank you again for being here. And um, thank if you. you. Have... It was lovely. Yeah. It was a bit intimidating. But, no. But it was lovely. Thank you. <laughs> um, and if you have questions, comments, thoughts uh, for Amber, please give us a shout. We're at whyfood at heritageradio.org. And you can always find us at, at whyfoodpodcast.com. So see you all or hear you all next week when Ethan's back. And thank you to the Red Crickets for our theme song, Blind. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. 
Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. I don't know how to take time when I'm still blind.